What's going on, everybody, and welcome into Bet to Win on this fine Monday in the Blue Wire Studios, The Win, Las Vegas. I'm your host, Joe Fan. Hope you all had a tremendous weekend of sports. We're good this weekend. Lots to discuss. I've got my guy Ryan Kramer from the Sports Gambling Podcast here to join me in a few moments. Uh, I had an eventful weekend, a lot of sports. I got to golf on Sunday. I watched sports. Um, also, I feel like this is this show is going to be about sports, sports gambling, my opinions, but also some movie reviews. And I feel obligated to share when I watch either something good or something terrible. And I watched two movies last week, both of which were in the running for the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. I told you about Morbius last Tuesday. Don't see it. Save your money. Um, and even when it comes out on demand, choose like the dullest of dull nights where you have nothing better to do. Um, and then maybe consider watching it. Um, this movie is on Netflix that I watched. It's called The Bubble. It's Judd Apatow's new movie. I'm normally a Judd Apatow guy. Great cast. Um, terrible movie. Like certifiably awful. It's like supposed to be funny. It's a comedy. It's about these like group of actors who are going to go make this, this uh, movie at the height of the pandemic. They have to kind of bubble together and make this movie. And... It ended and I, I sort of kind of, I was on the couch. Like, what did I just do with this night? I mean, I think I did that on Friday night. So what a Friday night. You probably had a better, everyone had a better Friday night than I did. Uh, wasting my time watching that movie. Do not watch it. Save your time. We have like, don't look up movie. Everyone's talking about on Netflix. Really good movie. Or at least something that will be like stirring and get you to talk about something. And then like, you'll, you'll have an opinion about it one way or another. My only opinion about this movie, the bubble on Netflix was that you should never watch it because it's, it, it offers nothing. Uh, what else did I do? I went and watched sports in the sports book on Saturday, rolled some dice, played some craps, met this guy who had had a big bankroll next to me and he wasn't betting anything. And uh, I kind of looked over and I was like, oh, you, just, you know, biding your time, you know, picking your spots, taking a little break, taking a little 20 second time out. Uh, and he goes, no, I, I play the field and I'm counting. And I kind of looked at him, gave him a look and he's like, no, I'm serious. I'm counting. And I I've heard about counting cards in blackjack. I've never heard about counting dice in craps. I don't think that's a real thing because every roll, I'm not a mathematician, nor am I a probability expert, but it's like a flipping a coin. You can't like count coin flips. Same thing with roulette. You can't count numbers. Every roll, every spin, the odds are brand new, all the same. Um. And so this guy is buying his time, buying his time. Finally, he goes in with like a $500 bet on the field. And this dude rolls a 12 and it's double. And he looks at me and goes, see, told you. Like, that's not how it works. You just got lucky. Anyways, golf Sunday, came home on the couch, watched golf, the RBC Heritage, great playoff, great theater. Jordan Spieth beating Patrick Cantlay. Also, shout out to Harbor Town, which is, Potentially the favorite, my favorite course I've ever played. Did a buddy's golf trip. I told you guys a couple weeks ago, we went to St. George, Utah. The year before that, this group went to the Sea Pines Resort in Hilton Head, South Carolina. And we played Harbor Town. Breathtaking course. If you were looking for a buddy's golf trip, I highly recommend doing it because the par threes are, are some of the best I've ever played. And then obviously the 18th, with the, the um, lighthouse in the background, breathtaking. My Mariners took two or three from the Astros. So overall... Vibes were high from the weekend. Um, I do have a uh, an L to hold. Uh, I lost my winning pick last week. I took the Phillies money line. They lost 4-3 to the Marlins last Thursday. So we'll try to get that back here 
uh, finish the show with a winning pick. But let's get to our guest. I want to talk hoops. I was locked into every game this week. And the only game I missed was because I was on the golf course and I was watching, uh, or I missed the Heat and Hawks. Didn't miss anything, which was beautiful. The one game of the eight um, that had no storyline. Um, let's bring in Ryan Kramer. He's the host of the Sports Gambling Podcast on the Blue Wire Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Kramer Cendric. Ryan, what's up, man? Yeah, happy NFL draft and, of course, happy NBA playoffs. You know, it's funny. You think about the slog that is the NBA regular season, and now you get into the playoffs. And this is, it really is a second season. All these series are seven games. The Celtics played on Sunday. They don't play again until Wednesday. This first round is going to take two and a half uh, weeks to complete. I'm all here for it. It gives us more to talk about, and the theater should be tremendous. We already have a couple of good series I want to go through just kind of all of the game ones, the storylines, and which results you are potentially overreacting to, potentially ones that you think are indicative of how this series is going to go. Um, let's start with what happened on Saturday, the first game of the weekend, the Jazz barely covering the five-and-a-half-point spread. They win by six against the Lucas Mavs. This, to me, felt like uh, an obvious bet. I played it. It ended up cashing, but clearly was a, a sucker bet to a degree. I just look at this, this Mavs roster and think, how on earth are they going to compete? But then you, you have the Jazz that are just, they remain a complete mess. And it, I think it's become very clear that this, this core of Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell is not sustainable moving forward. This will probably be the last year of those two together in Utah. There was talk during the game, just break up the team mid-series. Just blow it all up while this thing is still going. What do you make of that game? And do you think that that was a, a bad game from the Jazz, or are the Mavs really this competent even without Luka? Uh, I think the Jazz are frauds. I think you nailed it. They're broken. I think uh, the guys over at the NBA Gambling Podcast have been telling me all year, the Jazz are frauds. Don't, don't lay these points. 10 out of the last 13 game ones, they've completely tanked and not won. So I think this was an outlier performance. I think we did our best to ignore how important Luka is. And this is one of those results where I'm probably going to discard I might even look to pick up a discounted Mav series price here because, you know, I still think I like their their long-term series uh, chances. And because as you pointed out, they get the extra rest days. Everyone's trying. We're, we're actually entered in the world of real basketball. And just kind of quick aside, you, you made a point about how they have to break up the Jets. I love the narrative of if you're not winning the championship, break it up. And, and that's kind of like this, the, my favorite second story of the NBA playoffs. The second we realize... Oh, this is the first year they're there. This is meant to be a loss. This is the first step. But next year, they're going to take that step when they add those extra pieces. So the narrative is as strong as the gameplay when it comes to the NBA. And I guess we're here for it. If you're looking to get the Mavs series price, it's now plus 525. Now they're down uh, 0-1. I think the issue here is they've obviously defend. The total is set at 105 for game two. The line is minus five in favor of the Jazz, despite being on the road. Again, for obvious reasons, Luka not expected to play. The issue is, A, outside of Luka, there's just not enough consistent scoring. Jalen Brunson, I think, has played very well, but still just 9 of 24 from the field. Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, solid, but still a very limited score in terms of just creating his own shot. You have a couple knockdown shooters and like a, you know, Reggie Bullock and, you know, Bartans off the bench. But beyond that, it just is a very limited offensive team that relies so heavily on getting stop after stop after stop, which can be very hard. And if another team gets hot, obviously, goes without saying. But my issue is, okay, you like the series price. If the Mavs can steal game two, it's 1-1. I just don't see a scenario where Luka comes back and is anywhere near 100%. I mean, calf injuries are so finicky. 
And all it takes is one tweak, one wrong movement, subtle movement to where you re-injure it and then you're out for the entire playoffs. That's my worry with Luca. Yeah, I think for me, this is about like this is maybe that you discard for game one. We we look to play a little bit of a bounce back spot. We kind of I something we've been eyeballing is teams, home teams coming off that game one loss, look to play them in the first quarter. I'm certainly going to be doing it in this game with Dallas. Now, as far as the series long uh prospects, I just like the idea of a team coming in. Uh, the price adjusting a little bit too much based on, as you pointed out, the Jazz won the game. They were favorites. They were supposed to win the game, yet the series price has more than doubled. So I think a little of that has the Luka might not be back healthy like you're pointing out. But I'm willing to gamble that, as you mentioned, fraudulent teams will find a way to lose. And if they drop a couple games they shouldn't, Luka comes back, can, main, can run that offense even limited through the high post. I, I still like Dallas's chances. I think the one thing that goes against your favor in this one is that the Jazz are starting the series on the road. So, yeah, you know, if they true. were to start at home, they win both their home games, it goes back to Dallas. You think series, I, this is maybe my favorite phrase of a postseason series is the series doesn't start until the road team wins a game. Um, th- that happened in game one. The Jazz, we, we don't have to continue down this road. I just, you look at their roster and they've got bench scoring with Jordan Clarkson. They've got a legit backup big in Hassan Whiteside. Their starting lineup should not be as limited offensively as it is in so many spurts. It's just very evident at this point that Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert do not like each other. Um, Very true. I think for me, the most surprising result of the weekend was the Timberwolves dominated the Grizzlies. Not only did they cover the six and a half, they won outright 130 to 117. Anthony Edwards went off in this game, 36, two and six. The Grizzlies flat out got punked in this game. Steven Adams got punked by Carl Anthony Towns in this game. No points, just three boards. Where was he at in game one? It was it was Brandon Clark predominantly on the interior in the front court uh, for the Grizzlies. But anytime the Grizzlies tried to make a run, the Wolves responded. They were hitting outside shots, but they were also getting into the paint and getting to the rim at will. Um, this, to me, was the most concerning result if you're looking at a Grizzlies team as the two-seed as can they actually compete in the Western Conference with the Warriors and the Suns? What did you take away from that game uh, with the Wolves dominating? Well, I mean, I think I was all over the Wolves in game one. I, I like the matchup. And I, and I think just in particular, Grizzlies coming in with a little bit of hype. And sometimes you see teams trip a little bit and have to be punched in the mouth and realize it's real. Now, the Timberwolves are, are a team I don't know if I love them in a long series. And I, and I do have Memphis making a deep, deep run in the playoffs. Uh, but uh, But again... They are relatively fresh. And I think, you know, as I pointed out just with the Dallas, I am going to be on them for the first ca- quarter as well. Another home team who got, you know, more than just beat, got kind of like, hey, we're having questions about this team's ability to go deep into the playoffs now. That can be a very powerful moment in a locker room. So I expect them to get things sorted, return to form, and take care of business in game two. And then you sprinkle in the little dads talking crap on the sidelines. I, I like this to be maybe the the the, the best series of round one. I, I do think now certainly this is going long. I do think Minnesota is going to win a couple more games, and and maybe this is the seven the, the 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 seven game gem we randomly get in the first round of the NBA playoffs. Jaw's dad a looks like he's our age, and then B <laughs> looks like he's potentially Usher's look alike. I mean, I, I thought oh. at first I thought that was Usher. So did I. And I, I totally was like, I don't know Usher if I'm allowed to say fan. that. That might like, but with the shades, I was, dude, that look. And then in, uh, you hear the broadcast and that's Jaw's dad. And you're thinking, my goodness. 
Um, that was it's some a compliment. fun banter. If, any, if anyone ever confused me for Usher, I would take it as a compliment. Yeah, as would I. Um, <laughs> to me with Memphis, it's where does the offense come from? Come from? It can't just be jaw hero ball, put your head down into three defenders and you hope you get fouled. He did go to the free throw line 20 times in game one, but they have to get more from Desmond Bain. Jaron Jackson Jr. at some point has to make a perimeter jump shot. And it's crazy that he made 100 plus threes in the regular season. The first player ever to lead the league in blocks and then also make 100 threes in the season. It's not, a, it's not a pretty jumper, but it does go in on occasion. It did not in game one. It was 0-5 from three. But I think that's my thing, too, is that the, the Timberwolves got open looks and then converted much easier in game one. And they do make you grind. They defend. Patrick Beverly's a pain in the ass. Um, and so, to me, that, that's also where I'm looking at. The defensive rotations have to improve for Memphis, but, but where's the offense going to come from? I mean, I, and I think it comes down to that. Like you can't let Bev, Beverly win the, the, the battle of uh, your mind. And I think it just comes down to role players. We see this all the time. The role players at home have to step up, especially in these teams kind of taking their first real dip into a playoff run. And I don't know who it's going to be, but I have to imagine that they're in that locker room that the conversation is just like, guys, we've been great all year. Just calm down, right? Like you made a hundred threes all year. Just calm down, hit your shot. And I think, uh, again, maybe a return to form. Now, whether or not they can overcome the Patrick Beverly effect and the fact that Minnesota's a pretty pretty dang good team, that I don't know. But I, I expect the Grizzlies' offense to get... I don't know where it's going to come from, but I expect them to come down. I think this is going to be 1-1 going back to Minnesota. And I think even 2-2 coming back to Memphis where we're talking about a three-game series. I love that the Grizzlies are still minus seven. It was what, six and a half in game one, now minus seven. So everyone expecting a bounce-back performance. Yeah. The books certainly are uh, in game two. Uh, that game will be played on Tuesday. Uh, let's talk real quick. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this game because, in my opinion, I think this series is very evident where it's going to go. Um, the Sixers blew out the Raptors 131-111, and that's not to say every game's going to be a blowout, but now the Raptors are without Scotty Barnes. Gary Trent Jr. likely uh, out or maybe already out um, in game two. Um, the Sixers played a damn near flawless game. I mean, they made everything. Tyrese Maxey, 38 points. Tobias Harris blew up. He had 26. James Harden, 22. An easy night for Joel Embiid. Didn't have to carry the squad. He only only had 19 and 15. Um, these are both teams with really short rotations. You just saw one team with much more star power. I think it, it's sort of as simple as that, maybe, in my opinion. And the power of belief. I think everyone is talking about how Doc Rivers has to go. I think everyone is talking about how Toronto was a really popular underdog pick. Uh, I was all over the Sixers in that first game because I thought they would have to, they knew they, they'd have to come out, come out hard because A, going to Toronto is always tough. And like B, this Raptors team has kind of, they've, they've been a team this year. And I, and I think uh, for the Sixers to come out and do what they did and take care of business, I, I love them walking forward. Uh, my co-host on the Sports Gambling Podcast, Sean Green, has been just chirping at the underdog narrative for a team that was minus 200 walking into this series. They absolutely showed out. They absolutely told everyone to stand down. And honestly, for a guy who gets a lot of credit for being a horrible coach, Doc Rivers has been a man uh, who coaches men and motivates them through playoff times. And maybe he's not the best adjuster. Maybe he's not the best schematics coach. But there does seem to be something he's able to harness when it comes to getting that camaraderie, that chemistry energy. And, you know, it's only one game, but I certainly would expect game two to look similar to game one. It truly is a big four when you look at these series of, okay, can Anthony Edwards, in, you know, in Minnesota, 
do what he did again in game one. Well, D'Angelo Russell also had a horrific game. You expect him to have an uptick. This is is a perfect example of that, where you have four players who could carry you on, yeah. a, on a given quarter, um, let alone a given game. So yeah, Tyrese Maxey's not going to explode for 38 points a game. But then you say, okay, you have James Harden and Joel Embiid who combined for 39. Um, yeah, I like the odds of those guys and having their production go up as well. Um, let's leave that one alone. Uh, they're minus seven and a half tonight uh, against the Raptors. Uh, let's finish out with Monday's slate. Warriors minus seven. They, again, dominated game one. And if it was ever more evident that that Luka, not Luka Doncic, uh, uh, why can't Jokic. I think it was Jokic, Nikola Jokic, is a man on an absolute island. And that dude has zero help. And it showed in game one. Whereas you look at the Warriors, it wasn't even the big three. It was Jordan uh, Jordan Poole putting up a 30-burger. Is this series already over? I mean, for, this is a t- tale of two teams. You have one team where anyone can step up. Just tremendous coaching, tremendous framework of a team. And the other team who just seems to routinely get to the playoffs and try to get it all done through their big man and, and no help around them. You know, you, you, when you look at the playoff series, sometimes it's as simple as just writing down, like, how many guys in this series do you really trust with the ball in their hand when you need a bucket at the end of the game? And, you know, Sixers kind of it tilts the court a bit when you when you break it down that way. Well, so does so does the Warriors-Nuggets matchup. So this was this seemed like it was going to be a snooze fest, uh, kind of looking at it from the outside. I think after game one, I've, I've changed uh, my... I have not changed my mind. And, you know, if anything, I think this Warriors team is a team that you circle and you say, hey, I think, is it 11 minutes they've played together? If they can get things going and, and, and make a deep run, they might be the one team to give the Suns a little bit of run here. Yeah, I agree. The, the Nuggets, and then I would throw the Mavericks, which I guess makes sense as you have Jokic and Luka as two superstars who, again, perennially feel like they're on an island, which is why they're always in the MVP conversation and deservedly so. But you just think, like, what do these teams do in the offseason? You know, I look at this Nuggets team, and yes, they're without Jamal Murray, which which is huge. But you're like, this is the same team they had a year ago. And then you look at at the Mavs team, and they had the midseason trade for Spencer Dinwiddie, where they shipped off uh, Porzingis. You're like, what did they do all off season? Because it doesn't seem like these teams they're just stuck in neutral. They never get better. It was the Blazers for a long time with CJ and Dame, and then I guess they had Nurkic as sort of their pseudo big three, but. It just doesn't. It just feels like they run back the same roster every year, and I, I guess I don't tune in enough to, um, you know, the the minutia of the NBA offseason to think like, are these teams really trying to get better? Because it looks like it's the same roster. Is that fair or unfair? It's, it's very fair, and I think you know the, the the best comparison is looking at the how bad the Suns got destroyed a, a year or two after the draft, where it's like, oh, how could they have passed on Luca? But meanwhile, one team seems to want to constantly move pieces around, whereas the Suns were, as a unit, wanting to get better, wanting to bring in the right pieces. And some of that's luck through the draft, but some of that's player development. I think the Suns have always been a team that has a history of developing players, developing teams, and you know, bringing in the right leader. I think when you look at Dallas, when you look at Denver, you have to ask, are they looking themselves in the mirror? I know they have the superstar, but they're obviously not bringing the pieces around Maybe it's an irrational confidence guy. Maybe it's a, a, a guy, Patrick Beverly type, who's going to get in everyone's face. There just seems to be that little bit of edge missing. Let's get to the Sunday slate, um, and we'll skip this first game. But for the most part, Heat, 115-91, absolutely dominated. I think I'm, I'm frustrated with myself for not taking the minus seven in this game as they cashed, it cashed easily. Uh, Trey Young, 
horrific in this game, just one of 12. And you look at the depth of the heat. When you have Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero coming off the bench, they're the one seed for a reason. We also know how well they defend, evident by the Hawks shooting numbers. Uh, is this series over? Can we just move on? Um, that was a masterclass indeed. I, I think so. I think the Trey Young experience might, maybe we get a win. Maybe we get one. He gets one but, game you know, where he goes nuclear. Yeah. Yeah. He has that game where he scores like 40 and social media blows up. And and then they realize, oh, it's a 4-1, uh, easy peasy, move on from, I mean, if there was one, I think this was the one series where I really kind of said, hey, this could be a sweep. I might take a piece of that before it started. Nothing's changed to make me think that other than, like you said, a, a Trey Young nuclear game. Yeah, the one series where I did take this series number to, to be a sweep, that was the Bucks, And they did not cover the 10 and a half, really ended up, you know, squeaking by the Bulls. Giannis had 27, 16 and three, but the Bulls fought back in that second half. And, and not just, you know, from an offensive standpoint of getting buckets, but but they defended much better uh, and, and more uh, competently than I was expecting them to, particularly um, in the paint, Nikola Vucevic had a tremendous game, 17 boards to go with 24 points. They were in this game despite DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine shooting pretty terribly. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, six of 25 from the field. Zach Levine, six of 19, including two of 10 from three. Do you think, did, you, did this surprise you? And did you think that this is maybe uh, a series now? Can the Bulls hang around? Or do you feel like the Bucks came out flat? They had eight days off. Um, now they're going to find their rhythm and take it to the Bulls. I think it's a lot of that. I think it was also like, this was a very lopsided betting game. And for a, for a 10 point number in the first round of the NBA playoffs to see, I think it was 80% of the tickets coming in on the favorite. To me, that was just, it was a market play. It was like, okay, great. This Bulls team is proud. They played the Bucks well all year. And I, this is just, is the public not paying attention? So I, I still think the Bucks probably get through with a, a you know, four or five game series, but I do think there's going to be some battles here. And I, I would be hesitant to, t to lay big points with the Bucks in any games in the series. Yeah. I think Chris Middleton is one of the more bipolar stars. Uh, you know, he's not an a one superstar like a Giannis, but he is a legit complimentary piece. And there's a big reason why they won a title last year, but you see so often in these games, particularly in the postseason, where he is just sort of invisible and there just can't be a game in the playoffs where he goes four of 13 with 11 points. He just has to be better than that. He has to be a more consistent 1A to Giannis or even a 1C if you want to put Drew as that 1B. But but he has to be there more consistently. And I, I feel like I expect him to. But seeing this, it's like, oh, here we go again. Chris Middleton, you know, sort of a, a polarizing figure in, in Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, greatness doesn't have to step up every moment, but the, it can't disappear. And especially in the first round of the playoffs. And, and I think... You know, growing up as a Knicks fan, rooted for John Starks. And John, John Starks has, was a very, to me, he's a Chris Middleton-like player. But he Middleton needs a little of that edge. And I think in moments like this, if I'm a Bucks fan, I just want to shake him and be like, dude, we need you. Like, we need you to step up regardless of how you're feeling. And I think what the Bulls showed you is how, like, the Bulls played the Bucks exactly how you need to play the Bucks. And yeah, the Bucks were, were not exactly uh, shooting lights out. But uh, again, this this Bulls team clearly knows how to play this Bucks team. So I think this uh, this series is going to be frustrating for the Bucks, and I think the Bucks fans are going to be very happy to be moving on once they once they've discarded them. The Bucks are minus ten. That game not till Wednesday against the Bulls. So again, still big points. If you like the Bulls, you can get uh, ten points in your favor on Wednesday. Another game on Wednesday, and again, the magic of the NBA playoffs. You have one team who plays on Sunday; they get two days off before their next game. That's the Celtics. 
laying three and a half against the Nets. That total set at 227 and a half. They squeak by a buzzer beater from Jason Tatum. Uh, they don't cover, but they win. It felt like a huge win. I think you mentioned maybe the surprise series of the Wolves and the Grizzlies being a tremendous first round matchup that could go seven. We all expected this series to be an all-timer in the first round. And if, if game one is indicative of what's to come, we are going to get just that. Superstars galore. Um, and even with Kevin Durant sort of asleep at the wheel, Kyrie Irving carried the Nets in this game and the Celtics found a way to steal game one at home. You can't lose game one at home as the two seed. They find a way to get it done. What were your takeaways from this game? Yeah, and just, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of the data nerds out there were talking about how Kyrie has not averaged a ton of points in Boston uh, in those revenge spots up to this point, but it was clear. Playoffs, you saw the video clips after while him walking into the tunnel. Like, there's something personal going on here. And yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. I think uh, we gave out a couple series to go seven games, uh, one from the East, one from the West. And, and to be able to be sitting on a plus 175 Nets Boston in seven, to go seven, it feels good right now. And I, I think, I don't see, like, both from the narrative, the conspiracy theory angle, like, how does this series not go seven? How does this series, how do we not experience a, like, quote-unquote transcendent performance here from from these guys going back and forth? So, do I do I think the Nets uh, bounce back immediately here and, and steal game two? I don't know. I think we could be having a fun bit of talk heading into next weekend about how the Nets back against the wall as they head back to Brooklyn. Both these teams so top heavy. But I think you really do see the absence of Robert Williams. I mean, especially against Kyrie in the paint. I mean, he's just a guy, one of the best rim protectors in all of basketball. I mean, look at what the Nets are. I mean, it's Kyrie and KD. Verse, you know, Seth Curry yeah. will have his moment in the series where he rips off, you know, a 12 point quarter with, with a handful of threes. Bruce Brown will have his moments. He's an improved three point shooter, but, uh, and then you could say the same to a degree for the Celtics, but even Al Horford and Marcus Smart are giving the Celtics so much more than any, you know, third player on that roster and on Brooklyn's roster is giving them. Um, Kevin Durant, any reason to be concerned about him or just no. a game one snoozer? Yeah, I think if anything, that's the reason you might like Brooklyn in game two is because KD is going to bounce back. I mean, if there's one guy, I do, th- I don't think he's going to be a no show, right? Like that's, that feels like an obvious bounce back. I'll probably look into his props, uh, certainly in the scoring realm. Yep. I mean, I know, I know it's not super sharp to be pounding overs, but man, it's, it's, it's hard with these narrative plays not to grab these guys after they underperform. Yeah, I agree. Uh, real quick before we move on and talk a little bit of NFL draft before I let you go. Uh, Kyrie Irving versus the Boston fans. Everyone's talking about it. What's the line here? Is Kyrie Irving in the right? Are the fans in the right? Is there a line you can cross? I think we all agree there is the line. We just have to figure out where that line is. I'm sort of of the thought that let them go after each other. I kind of like him. You got to keep keep his mom's name out your mouth. You know, don't talk about his family. But beyond that, you know, like I think you give it to him and he's going to get right back. I have no problem with the double birds at the Boston fans and you know, that's all good with me. I think there needs to be more elements of villains in sports. And we talk about that with Patrick Beverly and even, you know, to a, a much lesser degree, Dylan Brooks in that series is sort of a, a 1A villain there to Patrick Beverly. But I think this is a really fun thing in this series. And I think Kyrie Irving is a very hateable dude for good reasons. And Boston fans are very hateable for a number of reasons. And so this, it just is this powder keg and I, it was a lot of fun in game one. I hope it continues all series long. 
I mean, I, we grow up, grew up with sports and hated rivals and it wasn't, it was less about players hopping from team to team because you had an identity and you know what Boston fans for as much as I hate them growing up as a Yankees fan, like they, they did create an environment. They do create an environment and they should hate Kyrie. I, if I was a Boston fan, I would hate Kyrie. Now, obviously it's a basketball relationship, you know, stay classy and all that. But when you step into another team's court or field or whatever it is, like there used to be a certain like scariness about certain fields and that would get people off their game. Philadelphia, the vet is, is known for being this terrifying place to play. The Knicks, the Pacers, you think about basketball in the eighties and nineties, there was anger. Like you did not like that team coming in your ear home and trying to beat you. So I, I condone everything that's being done by both Kyrie because he feels disrespected and the Boston fans, because as you mentioned, Kyrie's an interesting cat. He's kind of bringing this on himself. So yeah, let's see it. I'll, I'll take 12 rounds of this, please. Yeah, I will say uh, I don't have any patience for the Kyrie playing the victim card. Uh, I have no. no time for that. So in that sense, I'm all in for the Boston fans, giving them a tough time. Um, let's talk about the NFL draft real quick. It's coming to Vegas, uh, and you will be here next week for the 2022 NFL draft. Give me your, your favorite pre-draft storyline and where you want your Giants to go uh, next week. Oh, man. I, favorite pre-draft storyline is just how everyone pretended like quarterbacks weren't going to get drafted in the top 10 picks. And now here we are. We're hearing about how Desmond Ritter is almost a lock to be a first-round quarterback. I think it'd be surprising if Malik Willis didn't go top five. Sounds like Kenny Pickett could go top 10 as well. So love being able to grab all that early value on these draft props. Uh, you know, shout out to all, all the books. Shout out to the win for put, getting them out there because... They're all narrative based. They're all reactive based. They're reacting off mock drafts and basic information. And so super fun to kind of lean into those narratives and find the the juice. But yeah, just so funny. Two months ago, we were we were hearing people say there might not be uh, two quarterbacks taken in the first round. So enjoying to see that fall crashing down. And as far as my Giants, boy, five and seven, we got to get a lineman. It, it's clear as clear as day. Uh, take Neil, take Iquanu, whichever one's there. And for the second pick, Love a sauce gardener. We love a pass rusher. It seems like one could be there. I'm also good with trading down. Trade down, get some more picks for next year. We got a GM who looks at spreadsheets now. We got a head coach who likes to be dynamic and, and change things up and do things differently. So I'm excited for a, a new regime. And just, it's been Gettleman for the last four years. And every year is a disaster. So I'm, I'm just happy for it not to be a disaster. I love that. Ryan, thanks so much, man. I appreciate your time. Follow him on Twitter at Kramer Centric. Again, listen to his podcast along with Sean Green, the sports gambling podcast on the Blue Wire Network. Ryan, great to chat with you virtually. Appreciate you joining the show and looking forward to seeing you in person next week. Best of luck this week, Joe. You know, safe travels, me too. Appreciate you, Ryan. Very kind. It's sort of like when you go to the airport and you're like, you're going through security. They tell you have a good flight and you tell them to also have a good flight, even though they're not traveling and you're walking by like, not to say Ryan's an idiot, Ryan's man, but it's always funny. Safe travels. You too. I'll be here. Well, I guess, you know, safe drive to work. Uh, good stuff from Ryan, as always. Again, check out the Sports Gambling Podcast. He and Sean Green do a tremendous job. I'm looking forward to seeing those guys here in Vegas next week. Uh, I'm also, I'm realizing that um, we didn't talk about the Sun Series. They beat uh, the Pelicans. The, the, the biggest storyline of the game, the line is 10 and a half, and CP3 wills them to a cover. Number lands on 11, 110, 99, the final. Chris Paul is 36. I know we make such a big deal about LeBron James, as we should, and his longevity. Chris Paul in, in year 17 at age 36, putting up 37 and 10 
absolutely took over in the second half. Um, my opinion, they took the Pelicans' best, best punch. Credit to Willie Green, keeping his team fighting. They came back in the second half, cut the single digits. But I, I think that's that's all this. That, that's all. That's all they got. The Suns are just so deep, so versatile. And when CP3 is putting 37 and 10 on you at age 36, um, the Suns potentially sweeping, probably will sweep them. But at most, this series goes five. Uh, let's give away some money before I hopefully nail a winning pick. We've got our bet 10 win $200 promotion still running. New win bet users can receive $200 in free bets after they make their first qualifying deposit and place their first bet on win bet. Once that bet is settled, you'll receive four installments of $50 free bets. Go to winbet.com or download the WinBet app for official rules and details. Uh, need to get back to 500 in my winning picks. I'm two and three, minus 1.2 units here in the month of April. Uh, I like a couple NBA sides tonight. I like the Sixers at minus seven and a half. Without Scotty Barnes, without Gary Trent, I think the Sixers roll again. Um, I also like the Jazz minus five. I think they were lucky to cover in game one, but they also played terribly. I expect them to shoot better from the perimeter. I expect Rudy Gobert to take more than one shot in this game. Uh, hard to believe, but you see very evidently that Donovan Mitchell and this guy don't get along. Donovan Mitchell literally doesn't pass him the ball. But I think even though the chemistry is terrible, they are just so far and away the better and more talented team. Um, and I expect more from Jordan Clarkson off the bench. I give credit to the Mavs for being such a tough defensive team. It's why this total is so low. It's at 105. I might even dabble on the over in this game as well. Um, but they're just so limited offensively. And I think uh, the Jazz get off to a hotter start in this game. And I think ultimately cover the five uh, easier than they did in game one on Saturday. So I'm taking Sixers minus seven and a half. My winning pick will be Jazz minus five. Um, tail one, fade the other. Tail both, fade both. The choice is yours. But good luck to you here these next couple of days of NBA bets, also full slates every day of Major League Baseball games. Uh, plenty to talk about, I'm sure, on Thursday. Game twos will be in the books, and we will get an update from our guy, Nick Dayus of how his futures, how his bets are going so far. Uh, that's coming up next Thursday on Bet to Win. Until then, we'll see you then. Have a great week, everybody. 